As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast. My name's Taylor Payne and I am beyond thrilled to be joined by Chris Woff and George Coggan. How are you doing, Chris? Are you alright? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, I am just, I'm actually gobsmacked that George has finally, finally produced this women's piece, which he's, he's trailed for, for months on end on this podcast. But I have to say, and hopefully he isn't listening to hear this, but it is absolutely brilliant. So uh, it has been worth the wait. But well, yes. Of course I'm listening, Chris. I'm on the same <laughs> podcast as you. Why wouldn't I be listening? Just because do you not n- normally mute Chris when he's talking? I thought that's, that's true. <laughs> well, I should do. I should do. That's very kind of you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, no, I do feel like a considerable weight has been has been lifted. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy. Very happy that's gone out. And um 24,000 words of quotes I had by the end which was um which is which is uh, well we're going to hear a fair few of them today today but uh how are you doing Taylor I'm good yeah I've had a, a little week off with it being half term spent some time with uh, with the kids and uh, took the dog for a walk numerous times it's been great fun really enjoyed it got shit done George and that's uh, it's good to get shit done pal it absolutely is let's have a quick update on the Dan Ashworth situation before we get into other stuff um so Jim Radcliffe has been speaking recently uh, slightly misquoted in some reports Reporters calling the situation silly. This was actually in response to our colleague Adam Crafton, who asked him if he'd ever imagined a football club executive commanding a transfer fee of £20 million. So Jim did have a little dig at Newcastle by comparing us to Manchester City, with whom he said they had had grown-up conversations. Grown-up conversations, Chris. Turn a phrase, that, innit? It is. Manchester City, they approached and actually tried to bring their director as chief executive in Omar Barada, whereas obviously with Newcastle United, that was not what initially happened. So, I mean, yes, this this has got the heckles up of a lot of Newcastle fans, and understandably so. I mean, it, it, it the word entitled springs to mind. The, the whole of this Sir Jim Ratcliffe interview actually seems to have been a bit of a car crash in many ways. A lot of things that he said about taxpayers' money, potentially funding a refurb of Old Trafford, uh, stuff about Mason Greenwood and the like. But, but on Newcastle United, yes, and he basically said within that that... Uh, it would just be ridiculous, essentially, if Dan Ashworth is, is left on Gordon Lee for 18 months or so because he's really good at his job. 
And he started talking about human rights, he implied about human rights and the like, which is just, it's absolutely baffling. It's a man who just seems completely out of touch with everything that's going on. It's like, if, if you are that determined to get the man who you say is that brilliant at his job that you want him in, 10 out of 10 sporting directors referred to him as, just get around the negotiating table and pay what Newcastle United want. Don't don't yeah. take ages to make your approach and then when you do, whinge about what the actual terms of, of, of it are. If you think Dan Ashworth's that good, then you've got to pay the money. And yes, this this really did get my heckles up because it's just such a ludicrous interview. Did it get your heckles up or your hackles up? Hackles up. Ah, uh, both, right. both, everything. Normally, your heckles and your hackles. Yeah. Normally, yeah. it's us heckling, yeah. heckling you, isn't it? Um, I do like a good Chris Woff rant. He's he is very good at it. He gets his. He's like a he's like a little terrier with a bone, isn't he? Oh, he's like he's is. not going to let. Not going to let you go, and yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. I mean, I think it's worth remembering. This is something Ollie, our brilliant producer, pointed out that probably this interview is aimed directly at Manchester United fans who've been kind of ignored uh, by their own ownership for a long time, and this is someone who's come in and immediately sort of starts tickling their bellies and says all the stuff that they they want to hear, and I think that's probably fair enough. However, I mean, I would just sort of say that the the comparison he draws with Omar Barada, who's joining them from Manchester City, is that he had a ludicrously short notice period in his contract. Yeah. And Dan Ashworth has a very, very long notice period in his contract. So that explains that. And the reason why Newcastle did that was to protect themselves. That's why they've done that. They've they've been smart to do that. The you know, the idea that um, somehow Ashworth, Man United are, are victims in this situation where there's been month upon month of speculation linking the two together and there's been no front door approach to Newcastle is just absolutely laughable and Newcastle are not behaving in a silly or ridiculous manner, they're sticking up for their own rights and for their own right to compensation, which is totally and utterly fair. As Chris pointed out in the pod on Monday, Newcastle absolutely went through the front door to Brighton. There was a gardening period notice that that had to be served, but they got there in the end and they did it they did it like adults. Manchester United, Ineos's behaviour in this has been absolutely dreadful. And I don't think Dan Ashworth's has been much better to be honest. Sorry, I had one part of my rant which I forgot to give as well. Is that the, the part I've almost got more of an issue with is that what he says is completely illogical as well. When he basically, as if as if all of Sir Jim Ratcliffe's employees don't have long notice periods, as if yeah. Sir Dave Brailsford would, could just leave tomorrow and start for someone else without any sort of compensation or notice period. It's just I, I understand everything that that Ollie has pointed out and that you've mentioned about this is aimed at Manchester United fans, but at least make a logical, coherent argument rather than just say words as if oh, a war is us. I did particularly like the part where he said you can't expect a man who's that good at his job to sit in his garden for two years as if that's what it actually is like he's not allowed back in the house he has to be in the garden at all times until that period is over then he's allowed to take his wellies off and come back in it's, it's why nonsense. wouldn't he want to be in his garden that's as fabulous. we saw on Monday I mean, what an absolutely beautiful against the most I mean it's 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 up there with it's up there with Annette Castle. He should charge admission. He should charge forty quid admission for show people around Absolutely. his garden. Uh, well, the search for a, for a new uh, director of football or sporting director for Newcastle United begins now, doesn't it? Tom Burrows has listed some high profile sporting directors for the Athletic. Surely, George Newcastle have got a good list of sporting directors if they've only just recently appointed one. Yes, and I think that will serve them well when it comes round to this. I mean, the word very much from the club at the minute is that. You know, they haven't spoken to anybody yet. They're still digesting what has happened with Dan Ashworth. They are relatively relaxed about the situation. 
you know, they've got processes sorted out, they do have departments sorted out now, and because Ashworth wasn't the pivotal figure in terms of recruitment, you know, that they have people who can fill in there and do that, and their focus will very much continue to be the summer window and that's how it should be they also need to have that discussion about what they want from their next sporting director there's no sort of blueprint for what that job is with ashworth they wanted and needed a club builder someone yeah. who could take back this totally sort of stripped back outsourced organization which hardly employed anybody and build it up now do they still need that i mean it's quite early into this into ashworth's time at the club is that still what they need to do do they need someone who has a focus on recruitment what is it they actually want and they're still having those discussions so if there are kind of names linked now or soon i think it's fair to say that those links have probably come from outside of the club rather than inside the club there'll be a lot of jockeying for position people will want their names to be mentioned but uh, yeah this is this is right at the start and there is not a feeling of rush at the moment well i'm sure we'll hear lots more about this in the coming weeks uh, right then let's move on chaps This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, Newcastle through and through. So George's behind-the-scenes report from the women's team was finally, finally published on Wednesday. I sat down this morning with a nice cup of tea and a couple of slices of toast. George read through the whole thing, and I must say, and I'm not just saying this, it was lovely. It was fabulous. It was beautifully written, and if you haven't read it already, I would suggest you get on The Athletic and, and check it out. It's been published on Wednesday just in time for their big clash with Portsmouth at St. James's Park on Sunday. On the last pod, we said we were still getting to know this team, uh, so this is a great chance to do just that, isn't it? Well, this this was the thing that I loved about it. I mean, I love chatting to people. I love sort of talking to people, interviewing them, getting to know them. And I think one of the kind of beautiful things about the women's team is that we know a lot less about them than we do about the men's team. When Kieran Trippier signs for Newcastle, you kind of know, I mean, you don't know everything about him, but you know a lot about him and his background and where he's played and things like that. And yeah, I just loved hearing some very, very inspirational, some funny, some moving stories behind the scenes. And I started with uh, a chat uh, with Grace Donnelly, who is the goalkeeper and the club captain, someone who's been uh, with the club since 2017, when she, and get this, had to pay to play for Newcastle United. We became part-time players. I can't remember it was this last season we became part-time players. Went from kind of being a student in a type of almost grassroots environment then into kind of a full-time job and a part-time yeah. football environment so you're kind of juggling two jobs leaving the house at half seven and not getting until half ten at night we won the league got on a promotion which was a great opportunity and then this season we've we've turned full-time which is which is great so we've got a mix of players who've come from part-time football and transitioning into full-time and then we've had a few additions who've come from full-time environments back into 
in our full time, so it's it's great. Completely. So, you, and you were working in a school, weren't you? Yeah, so I was. Yeah. What was what was your actual role? I worked in Duke's secondary school. Yeah. Up in Ashton, and I was a behaviour intervention assistant. So it was quite a quite a taxing job. Uh, a lot of effort was put into the job, and then you'd get your food on the go and, and drive for training, and then you'd be at training, and then back at home, and then back all over again. <laughs> yeah, um, I think like obviously a lot of the girls were all in different positions, so we had everything from uh, teachers, police officers, full-time students, and it was very taxing. I think now that we're in the environment that we are, you look back and you realise like you're so grateful for it, the position yeah, that we're yeah. in now to have to have evenings free to go and see friends and family is, is, yeah. is a great opportunity. In women's football and women's sport, we've had you've got to kind of fight for everything that you get. So to be in this position now, where, where we are full time, is great, and hopefully we can be kind of trailblazers for teams in our league to get the back end of their clubs and they can do the same. Just sort of being part of things a little bit today. I mean, you, you know, you're wearing. GPS trackers and stuff. I mean, it, the, the the sort of support network you've got now is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, in, in terms of facilities and coaches and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think our wraparound is, is 100% gives us the edge over teams that are playing against in our league. Um, we've got literally everything we need from analysis to, to GPS to strength and conditioning work, physios, and that really helps us prepare for games um, week in, week out. And as club captain what what is that role what's and how's that role sort of changed at all yeah so i kind of say the club captain role is kind of a bit of an arm on the shoulder for everyone and um, i like to think that anybody can can come to us with a bit of um if they need a little bit um of support or a bit of a, a bit of anything really just to sort out those little those little bits that that, that needs sorting out and I think obviously I've been here a long time so I kind of know the club inside and out and yeah. I've known a lot of the girls for, for a good few years played with them on and off through college through university and a few of the girls a few of our new signings I've played with them when I was younger as well so so it's really nice to see some familiar faces alongside some some ones that have yeah. been here for a long time as well because of your team yeah, yeah, Newcastle through and through. There we go. Oh, Chris, it's, it still binds my mind. I know we mentioned this on, on Monday, and we've mentioned it a couple of times about the women's team, that they actually used to have to pay to play football for Newcastle United. She was at the club before the changes. Uh, she's a very stoic character, a great goalkeeper, and she's got Newcastle at her core, hasn't she, Grace? She does, and I mean, you, you've mentioned those issues, and actually, a lot of the problems that we highlight that were there under the Mike Ashley regime, I think, possibly one of the most embarrassing, really, is this situation. If you look back at it, and that the women's team, that the women were actually having to, they weren't fully associated with the club. They were then had to be financed by the foundation, run by the foundation, and the players themselves had to pay to to play to a certain degree and and, and wash their own kits and do the like. And that, to me, just says everything about that previous regime. And one of the best things to happen since the takeover, in my opinion, is to make sure that the women's team is taken extremely seriously, that they're ambitious. Even if even if it wasn't the case that it was, they had the money behind them and the ambition was to, to get the very top, just to give them a proper chance and to make them feel part of the proper part of the football club. I think that's the, the most important change possibly that's happened post-takeover in general. Grace talked about going to watch Newcastle as a kid. There's loads of Newcastle United fans in the in the team and squad, which is kind of really nice. And she was always um, sort of besotted in a footballing sense with Shay Given. She said she was just watching him and her parents would say, what are you watching him for? Why are you just watching the goalkeeper? And when she played, she said she was selfish. And she said that all the other players would get subbed off so they would have equal minutes apart from the keeper. So by being keeper, she could stay on the pitch for as long oh, as possible sneaky. which like uh, which I loved yeah yeah so 
Next, um, I spoke to Cara Milne Redhead. She's not from Newcastle. She's a relatively uh, relatively recent signing. Now, the whole squad is is now full time as professional, but she chooses to spend her time away from football, coaching footballers, and this is a really important story because she coaches eight nine year olds at Newcastle's brilliant foundation and kids who are now scouted by Newcastle have a clear pathway to the first team to the Newcastle United first team which is a really powerful story but she she doesn't like to rest she always wants to be busy and this is part of her story I've always just loved coaching as in I signed at Newcastle January of last year um, yeah. and we was part-time then so we trained at nights. Yeah. In the day I did a volunteering job at Northumbria right. Uni right. and then this year the opportunity came up to work with the under 9s and 10s so yeah. straight away I said yeah I'd love to do that. But it's definitely something that after I've finished playing football it's something I probably want to go into the kind of coaching side of things um, so that's how it happened really. So it's, it's just Friday, I mean... Sometimes games on a Tuesday night right. against other ETCs or boys, academies, but training's Friday night. And so you've kind of got two, two jobs? Two jobs, yeah. And I've also got my own business as well. Um, what? Mentoring young kids, kind of okay. passing on. It's a three-month membership, so passing on the tips and tricks I've learned in football. So it ranges from the technical ability, nutrition, recovery, uh, psychological, all kind of training and that. They get half an hour call each week with me, an online call. I've got over 20 kids signed up for that, which I do every week. Um, so kind of got free jobs, so it's full on, but yeah, it's good. You're supposed to be, you're all supposed to be like relaxing in between oh. training sessions, are you not? Nah, I can't that. relax. I love doing, love being busy, so never relaxing, but it's good. I enjoy it. I enjoy being busy. So if I ask the question, how much has life changed this season? I mean, probably not very much for you because you're going to be yeah. busy all the time. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm playing football every single day now, which I love, whereas in the past, it probably wasn't like that. Um, you know, I've had other jobs in hospitality and retail and stuff yeah. like that. So now it can just be football. It's it's brilliant, obviously, because it's just football. And we obviously in during the day it's freed up at evenings, so that's allowed me to coach and it's allowed me to start my own business. Whereas in the past, you know, the kids are at school and that in the day, so I wouldn't have been able to do that because I would have been training at nights. Yeah, um, yeah, so it's yeah. definitely helped the kind of daytime training. And who is it that you're actually coaching? It's all part of the foundation. So it's. The kids are kind of on the pathway of getting in the first team, um, Newcastle United. So I do the under nines and tens, and then Good. yeah, and then there's 11s, 12s, 13s. That's, well. that's amazing as well. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, that's like seeing what's happened obviously with the women's team the last couple of years, and now already, you know, we're making this participatory for, for the next generation. Yeah, as definitely. Well. Like obviously, I'm only 21, but when I started, when I was four or five, there was no girls team, so I played in the boys team until I was 14. Yeah. Uh, just because it wasn't an opportunity so now to see the seven and eight year old girls being able to pull on a Newcastle United shirt and kind of have the inspirations of the first team to look up to and that's where they aspire to be it's brilliant yeah. really really good yeah, so Cara, as, uh, as well as some of the other talented youngsters as well, they, they maybe represent the new face of women's football, Chris. Would you say where professionalism's more the norm now, isn't it? Yeah, and that's exactly what you want to see, certainly from Newcastle United, but in general, in the North East. The North East has produced a heck of a lot of top-level uh, women's footballers, but just there hasn't actually been enough clubs and enough of a profile to help them develop them here. So to, so to try and get more and more players through and to give them more of a platform like Newcastle United have, like has been at Sundance, has been the standard bearer for so long in this area. You've also got Durham women as well. I think that's absolutely wonderful and that's exactly what needs to continue. Amanda Staveley calls Cara an absolute star and it's difficult to disagree with that. Already at the age of 21, wanting to give something back. But, I mean, the other thing about her story is that she is 21 
And she didn't have a chance to play for a girls team as a kid. She played for a boys team around Manchester until she was 14, I think it was. And the fact that there is now beginning to be a pathway for young girls in Newcastle to play football, to play for a Newcastle team, to pull on a Newcastle strip is just... I'm getting goosebumps up my back sort of thinking about that but is is incredibly powerful and really really inspiring somebody else at Newcastle who hasn't quite given up on the day job Cara says she has kind of three jobs I want to talk now about uh, about Tyler Dodds and I don't know whether people have seen this or not she's a brilliant winger she's pacey she's played for pretty much every northeast team i think she's got the the full full house of northeast team she's played in glasgow she had a bizarre spell uh in italy where she got a team near naples up to syria which was brilliant but her other job is actually as a singer she comes from a musical family and one of her sidelines is performing a tribute act to taylor swift it came around as a joke really yeah so i was actually on a holiday with a, a lot of other singers as well right. and um, it was the same year my dad was talking about leaving for a boy band my drummer at the time so i was in a band with, as yeah. a four piece and he was like well just do taylor swift because you can be called tyler swift so the full holiday we were just joking tyler yeah. swift by the end of the holiday since my dad's my agent he was like learn it i'm selling it <laughs> I, honestly i didn't even know what to do i was like, i don't even i know our songs that well like i had to proper watch our videos to like do yeah, our mannerisms yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, she has a lot of words in our songs, yeah. a lot of words. So it was a total joke, but in obviously, especially with the girls going about it. But now it's worked out well. It's like the name goes. Uh, it's perfect. I mean, I'm not sure I look that much like it, but when I've got my wig on and my red lipstick, <laughs> I think I pass. I'm really confident singing if I'm in my stage clothes. Right. Okay. It's like a completely different persona. Right. So like, I do. I will sing in front of the. All of the girls, if I've got a stage, I've got a microphone, and I've got me singing equipment, yeah. I'll sing forever. I'm not bothered. But if you want me to sing on a bus in Newcastle, kids, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much because it's just because I do it as a professional. I'm professional in that. Yeah, I don't yeah. like doing the half-assed. Yeah, do you yeah, know what I mean? No, so, I do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they all take the mic. Like, obviously, my name is Tyler, and I get tied, but. For some reason, the most common nickname is T Swizzle now. So, T-Swizzle. with it being a, as a Taylor Swift tribute, yeah. so yeah, so everyone's starting to call Taylor Swift Tyler Swift. So That's it's brilliant. pretty funny. Everyone takes the mic. Well, have they come it's to see you? Have they come to see you on a night out? Um, no, they, they do would talk welcome, about it. Would you I would welcome them? that. Yeah, but it's just obviously I know that I'm used to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm used to that like lifestyle but some people might not be used to that and I don't think the coaches would maybe no, 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 no. push for that might when we're in season. season yeah might I was going to say off season see what happens on the six weeks holidays oh man I love listening to that I love this that. is your life, isn't it, Taylor? Yeah. This is your life. Well, for those of you who don't know that, this is essentially what I do on the side as well. Well, I'm not a Taylor Swift tribute act for a start. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I wouldn't have to change my name either, would I? Um, no, but I, I, I do a bit of singing and stuff, and uh, I've been doing that sort of professionally for the last 15, 20 years. It, it probably resonates for me what she's saying about she doesn't want to sing in front of people when she hasn't got all her stage gear and her PA system and microphone and all that. I get that feeling because you tried to make me sing at our Christmas drinks and I told you, that, well, I think the second word was off. Yeah, no, the, I think well, is what I yeah. said. Yeah, I mean, the, fir- <laughs> the first word was definitely fuck as well. So I don't, yeah. know, why, I don't know why you just didn't say that. But um, no, and there's been sometimes when you've had like your guitar on the back, back of our screen, like, oh, give us a song, give us a song. But no, you won't, you just won't do it. Um, but she did say, yeah, she said that if they... Um, 
if they get promoted, then perhaps the whole team will come and watch you play. But that would be what a night that would be. It's great that because stuff like that, music and 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 stuff that you do uh, outside of your job and outside of your your working world, it's stuff that stays with you forever, isn't it? And you know, I'm sure if you weren't a journalist, if you weren't a sports writer, Chris George, you'd you'd still be writing, you'd still be you know watching football and still thinking about it and stuff like that. It's stuff like that that never leaves you, does it? It's it's always with you. No, I mean I've even heard of Taylor Swift, which is impressive on my own part. If if anyone my family members are listening then they'll be most impressed by that from this podcast looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We can beat you and we are going to win. So, what, you know, what I love about this is that, you know, that, you know, Grace Grace Donnelly, she worked at the school. Other people have been teachers. Some have been students. Some have been unemployed. Now they're all full-time footballers, first of all. It might not be the only thing they do, but that's what they do first. I loved hearing those stories and, you know, just, just really good. And the fact that they can now concentrate on football. Next, we should hear from Amber Keegan-Stobbs, who's a friend of the show. Absolutely. She obviously made our live podcast her own, along with uh, Becky Langley. Brilliant. She's and scared the bejesus out of Jacob in the, in, in the meantime while she was doing it as that's, well, that's, great. That's absolutely right. <laughs> she's the leader on the pitch. She's a captain yeah. on the pitch. She's the team captain when they play, and she brings a wealth of experience, both at sort of higher levels of women's football, but also in life. And as you know from, from our live show, she's very funny and irrepressible, but there's a different side to her story too. She almost retired from, well, she did. She did retire from football at the age of 26, but kind of found renewed purpose and at Newcastle has has finally come home. So have a listen to this. I thought I was done. I thought I retired when I was, when I was like 26. Six, yeah. Just got bored working out alone and things like that and then probably concentrated myself and then thought, do you know what? I'll give football another go. And I do play differently now and I do have a different mentality to it. So yeah, it's a dream. And it's, it's for me, it's not that thing of like, this is who you are and this is your job. It's not something you love anymore. I've got, I feel like I've got the right balance for it. But it's kind of good because I can see the younger ones when they're sometimes going into that. And I can have a word with them and just say, yeah. like, how are you feeling? Like, remember to look after you as a person and a player as well. So I feel like I always knew I'd play for Newcastle. This is the perfect time to do it because I would like to end my career at Newcastle. Yeah. I won't be playing yeah. for anyone else. Yeah. But also I've got my best mindset about myself, about football and, and things like that. I just think I've got the right balance. So. And because of that experience that you have, does this feel like a second act almost in your career? Yeah, definitely. But it also is like the pinnacle, is that the right word? Yeah. Like it is like the peak up. Yeah, it's like peak of resistance, this. 
Does so it's not the peak in terms of where you play, I mean, in terms of level, but it's... Yeah, but peak of, like, this was always meant to happen. I knew it was. You've got a smile, like, playing with Yeah, because I do feel like, um, no, this isn't a piece on that, but, like, there's been plenty of times in my life that I'm like, what am I here for? Like, what is this? And been in really dark places, but, like, literally when I signed for Newcastle, I properly got emotional because I was like, ah, it makes sense now. So it is, this is the peak of my existence, it's just a dream. But I feel like if this opportunity came up when I was 24, 25, it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in the same place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have the same mindset, I wouldn't have the same knowledge of the game and things like that. But I just think like, would it have passed me by sort of thing if I wasn't how I am now? You join the club that you love, you move like your life up, just, you know, like right, pack my bags and go in. But you don't, I wouldn't have expected a start like this. Would have when I spoke to everyone and saw like what we're trying to do. But it's very unlikely that you get to Christmas with no losses in whatever tier you're in. But like I said, I think that speaks to the organic growth and the project that we're on. It's not a quick fix, it's not a thing like that, where I think sometimes that's where people can fall at the hurdle. Like, oh, this, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll get all these players in and I know I'm a new person but I'm a new player but like all these players in just because they're good on the pitch but I think they've they've been careful with stuff like that so yeah it's surreal like I think it's a place that's very open and honest and accountability is massive here and when we were first starting out and we didn't have the food that we're getting now and stuff like that it was very like we're working on it we're open we're honest this is where we're at this is where we want to be at and like these things are getting put in place and everything they said that they put in place they have obviously in every interview you do with teams, no one's going to talk about the tough stuff or the the wobbles or the hard stuff behind the scenes. And, and it does sound like probably doing an interview just to say, yeah, it's positive, it's amazing, but genuinely, it is, it's just great. We're going to have to bring Amber back at some point, Chris, aren't we, and have her on the show. Um, her leadership, her strength, you know, it, it, the impact it's had on, the, on that team is, is immeasurable, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean reading her words in, in George's article as well, where she basically talks about how a therapist helped her, essentially, and that saved she wants life. to... Wow. Yeah, saved her life. life. She said on more than one occasion. I mean, that really struck home. And that's what she wants to do post-football as well. She she thinks that that saved her. She wants to save people going forward. And that she chats to other members of the squad and she uses her experience having played at, at so many different levels and for so many different clubs to, to help them progress and to basically, in the high-pressure situation that they're in, every single week in the chase for promotion, she, she's vital to that with her leadership. Yeah, it's really important having players like that around the dressing room, isn't it? She's just a brilliant story in her own right. I mean, she would have, you know, she would have been an absolutely a worthy, worthy subject for a for a big interview, big article, because she's just been through so, so much. But to be home now, you know, she she grew up in South London, but family of Newcastle fans with her grandparents uh, up here in concert, and to have kind of come home at this point in her career, she's found a way of living her dream again, and she and it's yeah, just just really really powerful. And when she's talking about possibly doing counselling later on in her life. She's also talking about doing about a billion other things later on in life as well. Because <laughs> yeah. she would be good at whatever she turned turned her hand to. She's just one of those just one of those people. But yeah, really inspirational. And there's lots of other characters that we haven't heard from as well, George, isn't there? Oh, there's I mean there are so many. Yeah, there are so many and sort of almost felt guilty when I was hanging about. It's like who do I talk to, who do I don't talk to? So it's people like Emma Kelly and Georgia Gibson in midfield. Gibson, who's already scored at uh, St. James's. Charlotte Potts, who's been a just a brilliant rock at the back. 
the winger Casey Elson, so rapid. Alicia Body, who I spoke to for this piece, someone who's been injured recently, but so talented, single-minded, ambitious. This is all she's ever wanted to do with her life. The goal scorers, Katie Barker and Bridget Galloway. Katie, who we've had on the pod relatively recently, the number nine, whose idol was Alan Shearer, who's just driven by scoring goals. I love watching her play. Daisy Burt, who's just joined Borough on loan, but fingers crossed has a great future at the club still. Honestly, the the list just goes on and on and on. And it's not just the players, it's it's the staff as well. Just a really good, exciting, talented group of people. And this wouldn't be pot on the time, would it, George, without Newcastle signing a load of players after you'd interviewed them all, uh, completely pod-bombing us uh, and meaning that you can't use that in... Well, no, I mean, the, I mean, the... The piece has gone on for so long. They were signing people in the summer transfer window, let alone the January transfer window. So all of this stuff was actually going on when I was sort of doing the interviews. But yeah, Lily Woods has come in, Leah Caltaldo and Paige Bailey-Gale, who I've now seen play a couple of times, signed from Crystal Palace, Jamaica International. Oh my goodness, yeah. Just such a hot run of of form in front of goal. Brilliant. Uh, Beth Lumsden, she's also played very well. She got her first goal for the team against against Derby. So yeah, that was sort of one of the interesting things that that was happening in January as I was doing these interviews. The women's team, unlike the men's team, were able to make signings because because there's no sort of FFP in the women's game. And there are some men on the coaching staff uh, as well, Chris. But this has been really driven by a remarkable group of women, hasn't it? Yeah, and that's what there's been. Some people who've been there for years, like Sue Cumming, who obviously is the the the, the director of football for, for the women's side, and she is she has driven this. She's driven football on Tyneside, really. She was involved uh, in other with other footballing teams for women. Cowgate Castrols, yeah. Cowgate Castrols, yeah. And and she spoke about how when she was young, it was difficult for her to play football as well. This was this was this really is a. The culmination of long-term determination from a lot of people here, which has been they've been facilitated and allowed to grow and, and progress as as Newcastle United women's team and as part of Newcastle United Football Club. Yeah, and I think I think you're totally right, Taylor, to put to point out uh, some you know some very important men behind the scenes. I had a long chat with Andy Cook, who's Becky's first team coach now, previously head coach at Nottingham Forest. I mean that just shows what Newcastle are able to do that they're able to sort of attract people now and um but yeah the kind of driving forces behind the team have been have been women we know how good and how special becky becky has been and you know i also for this piece spoke to amanda staveley so um one of the co-owners who has absolutely put a rocket uh beneath the women's team since she came in and as she talks about here this has been uh, an absolute passion project for her I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about Newcastle, everything to do with Newcastle United, but particularly the women's team resonates and has a very, very special part in my heart. And I think that's heightened. Why is it heightened? Because they've just been on this extraordinary journey. They've committed and demonstrated such bravery. I mean, when we took over the women's team, there was no, you know, you, you all know the women's team was being run through the foundation incredibly well and supported by, by Sue and, and a skeleton team. Girls were coming in and they were effectively paying to play football and they were having to work, work full-time jobs. They were exhausted. They had to train at night. They were beset by injuries all the time because there was no medical support. 
and and Becky Langley was coming in as a coach, uh, sort of intermittently on a sort of to, to try and keep this very passionate group of women together. But when I when I first was, uh, uh, and I had this incredible passion for football because when I was young, I remember there was no pathway for me. Uh, I was a girls' school. We played lacrosse. We played netball. I was an athlete. Uh, I was passionate about sport. I believe that team sports is a very important part of of, of, of women's development. Um, and I think it builds very important bonds. Uh, so to uh, to actually find that this team mirrored, uh, there were so many similarities, even with these young women and my and and the young Amanda. And I really recognise in many of them my own fears, ambition drive everything that I have that's taken me into my work life and, and supported me um, I, I recognize in them and but they were just remarkable so absolutely my greatest passion without any any doubt what I found most fascinating about what Amanda Staveley said was that she was quite blunt about the fact that the ambitions are exactly the same for the women's side as they are the men's side. I mean, they've hinted at that before, she's said that before, but within it, she's absolutely competing for everything and winning a much-earned for trophy for the men and the women. There's no difference in ambition. We're just as proud of the women for being top of their league as we are for the men uh, finishing in the top four last season. And basically, that, that she even suggests within that she sees long-term that women's football Newcastle United is going to be the equivalent of men's, if not even overtake it longer term. That's her vision for this. That she she genuinely believes that this is the future, and that's 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 wonderful. It's all right. I mean, you look at it at this stage, and you think that that might be very much a pipe dream. But to have that ambition just really underlines exactly what they're trying to do with the women's side. Yeah, and to say that sort of globally, commercially, the women's game will grow to be you know equal to the men's game, possibly overtake it, is pretty you know pretty startling. Too, but but that is absolutely the um, the ambition. I mean, that, there was a lot of very interesting things that she said. She took, you know, I asked about sort of infrastructure. Obviously, they've got Kingston Park at the minute, which is great, but it's an artificial pitch. As they move up the leagues, there will have to be investment on infrastructure. They'll have to decide what they want to do, how they want to do it. I asked about, you know, is the is the kind of overall idea still that men and women share a big new training ground eventually? And she and she said that. Everything is still up for discussion that when they arrived, they had an idea about what they might do, which was to put everybody together. But what she's learnt since then is that it's about getting good people in the right positions and then seeing what's best for everybody. Is putting the women's team in with the men the best environment for the women or is it not? What is the best environment? How does it work? I mean, one of the things that really stood out for me was the level of sort of detail that there is around the team now. There's analysts, there's sports scientists, there's psychologists. You know, I'm not saying that that's more than other teams at this level. I found it kind of surprising that that all of that stuff existed. GPS for goalkeepers, uh, analysts recording every training session. But it's the fact that they've got the personnel to do it. So instead of the coach having to do absolutely everything, they've got specific personnel to do everything. And because they're full-time, they have the time to do it. There's already been a huge investment and it's only going to get more and get bigger and better. It's just really, really, really exciting. It certainly is. And and speaking of exciting, uh, St. James's Park on Sunday, Newcastle United women's team are playing Portsmouth and this should be a great game and a close contest. Portsmouth are top of the FAWNL Southern Premier and there's real jeopardy as well with a cup final appearance on the line, George. Uh, Not that these women fear anyone. 
Well, that's it. I mean, you know, it wasn't too long ago that they went 399 days unbeaten. That's a ridiculous record. I mean, I mean, it is ridiculous. They lost that record when they went to Manchester United in the FA Cup and lost, and then followed that up immediately with a with a sort of big defeat to to Forest in the league. But the way they've bounced back from that has been absolutely superb. And yeah, we go back to Cara Milne Redhead, who talks a little bit here about the confidence that is surging through the team at the moment. Like we know that teams will fear us um, rather than we potentially would, would fear them. Um, so I think it does give us that extra confidence and not an ego or not an arrogance or anything like that because Becky does a really good job at keeping us yeah, all grounded. Yeah. But, you know, we can step onto that pitch thinking we can beat you and we are going to win. Which I think obviously it helps massively when you're going into a game with no fear and, and knowing that if you play well, if you stick to the game plan, you're going to win the game. So it's brilliant. You can feel that confidence in the squad, can't you, Chris? You, you feel like they could give anybody a game on their day. Oh, definitely. And certainly I, I can only see the St. James's Park atmosphere really inspiring them. I mean, I'm sure there will be a little bit of... I mean, some of them have played there before, but for those who haven't... the, the playing there and having hopefully a good crowd behind them maybe there will be a couple of moments where suddenly there's that realisation dawns but I think that the power of St James's Park will really help them in this match as well yes absolutely uh, we'll stick links to tickets uh, for the game in the show notes and on social media uh, it's going to be a great occasion definitely uh, not least for Amber Keegan Stobbs there hasn't been a St James's Park game Sell a cup yeah. in pre-season. Yes, of course. But it was yeah, it was very different because yeah. um, yeah. the crowd and stuff like that. But for me, it would have been the same if the crowd were there or not. Like, I yeah. literally was crying in the warm-up. Yeah, you were crying in the warm-up. No, wait, yeah. I had it to go for the warm-up, right? I'm like, concentrate on the game. And then we come out as a team and I'm like, oh, gosh. And then just before kick-off, we do a team talk, right? And then we're doing like the jump up like one two three jump up and sprint out and I've just yep. tears streaming down my face and I'm like oh my god I'm going to play a game that was unreal I am concerned for when we play their next month captain <laughs> just for the walkout bit just because the local hero and stuff like that I can't even explain looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Come on, you Maggie's. Right, chaps, on to the lads. Arsenal away on Saturday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. Bit of a strange mood coming into this one, Chris. Uh, real trepidation based on recent Newcastle performances. Yeah, I don't know that absolutely ludicrous kickoff time for Newcastle United oh, fans. It's stupid. It's pathetic. Yeah. A ludicrous kickoff time for Newcastle United fans and also for some athletic reporters, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who you're referring to there because, oh. you know, I'm not going so. Um... Bit of needle there. <laughs> A little bit of needle. But yeah, this is, I think that, I mean, Arsenal actually lost 
in midweek in the Champions League, but their domestic form is is superb, and they've had a couple of very very big uh, away victories and well and wins at home. They've found their goal scoring form all of a sudden. They really are hitting it. Saka's in absolutely wonderful form, and so I think given how open Newcastle have appeared at times, yeah. given I suppose that the the fact that games are just so topsy turvy, the concern going to Arsenal is that Newcastle will be opened up quite a few times. I mean, I was just I was looking on NUSC.com earlier. And I knew that Newcastle's record at Arsenal was bad, but I didn't realise that it's 777 minutes in all competitions since Newcastle scored at Arsenal, 657 oh, in the Premier so League. Bad. The last player to score for Newcastle United at Arsenal. Do you know who that was, Taylor? Um, at Arsenal. December 2014. Ooh. Was it Sylvan Marvaux? It was Iose Perez. Oh, of course. No, that was a long time before... Uh, before that, wasn't it? When Silver Marvel scored, he scored a. Was it a? We we went two nil up or one nil up, I think. And Gabriel Obertar might have scored as well. And then Arsenal just thought, we're not having this. Let's, yeah, let's well, I mean, there's them. been some pretty there's been some pretty dreadful yeah. days. It was that day where Walcott got four? Did he? Did he get four or five? I can't remember how many. It was like seven. Whatever. That might was. have been that seven, game. Three. Yeah, I remember Andy Carroll yeah. scoring on us, winning one nil. Yeah, that was, was that was that was promotion, wasn't it? That was after the straight back. That was after. brilliant. Uh, but yeah, so this is not a happy hunting ground for Newcastle United. Essentially, is that just you come to me again? Optimism, optimism. It's an awful yeah. record at uh, at the Emirates, George, for uh, for Newcastle, isn't there? But maybe it's a little bit of optimism. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have to look too far back for Newcastle getting a good result there last season, um, getting that very feisty goalless draw. Is it too much to ask for a bit more of the same? I mean, the way Newcastle are playing, yes, absolutely. If they're going to get a draw, it's going to be about nine all, isn't it? It's not going to be nil yeah. nil. But um, but they have shown powers of recovery. There's also a chance that players will be back. I, I struggle to use the word optimism next to the word fitness. <laughs> Yeah, because by the time this podcast comes out, the whole um, the whole squad have probably caught the bubonic plague. It's doing the rounds. It is doing the rounds. It's nasty, but we know that Joe Willock and that Alexander Isak are, are, are kind of much closer to fitness. Elliot Anderson, Nick Pope too, and the Fabian Shar injury. We saw him leave St James's yeah um, on Saturday with his with his wrist in a sling, but should should hopefully be be okay. Uh, we can't wait for Nick Pope's return, can we, Chris? Well, I have written a piece sort of looking at... It's, the basis for the piece is or the, basically the stats that show since Martin Dubravka's come into the team that Newcastle have conceded more goals than anyone else, had more shots against him than anyone else. Martin Dubravka's made more saves than anyone else. But the, the purpose of it was to try and go beyond that because his actual main role, Martin Dubravka, shot-stopping, he's doing well. That's that's mainly what his... his purposes as a goalkeeper that, that that's his strength whereas Nick Pope is different and what he is is very much a sweeper keeper and it, if you go back to the summer of 2022 when Eddie Howe actually brought Nick Pope in I think a lot of people myself included were almost looking at it when he first came in thought well goalkeeper isn't the priority what is the why, why are you doing this but it's it was to help Newcastle change stylistically yeah. and what this piece attempts to demonstrate is sort of the change and the knock-on effect from that since Dubravka came into the team after that Manchester United victory at the start of December when Nick Pope went off injured. And basically, Pope is far more natural coming out of his goal. He's also far more natural at coming wide. And it's not the only reason why Newcastle, maybe their systems, their defensive systems have, have, have basically become flawed. But it is a key reason why. You, you look at 
Dan Byrne and teams getting in behind Dan Byrne. Well, when Nick Pope was there, there was more confidence that Nick Pope would be able to cover across and come out wide and get in behind him, whereas that isn't the case at the moment. There's also, if, if the defence... If the midfield sorry pushes high to press, the the, the defence could follow it because they know the goalkeeper is going to be behind. Whereas now there are big gaps yeah. for teams to exploit in behind. And this is not digging out to Bradford. This is not what I'm doing. It's just trying to explain that the that, that stylistically the difference in the goalkeepers has had a huge knock on effect for the rest of the team. Yeah. We're just trying to, alongside Mark Carey from our data team, just try to outline some examples of that and show why Newcastle really are starting to struggle. We will be praying to the gods of hilarity on this one, and even though we're not the neutrals' favourite team these days, everyone can pretty much agree that a Newcastle win would be the most hilarious result in this situation, George, if not for several vats of boiled piss it would cause for Mikel Arteta. Have have Arsenal supporters kind of accepted that they lost no, no, the, no. the reverse fixture no, at St James's Park? I mean, we and released a statement afterwards. Arsenal Football Club released an official statement afterwards, backing their manager's ludicrous inability to understand the rules. Oh dear, <laughs> don't want to get, don't want to wind, don't want to wind anybody up. No, I mean, obviously yeah. they were they were incredibly upset about about that and the VAR decision, which having looked at. 95 <laughs> passages of play in the build-up to Newcastle's goal still wasn't able to rule it out. I think VAR was checking if Peter Beardsley was offside at one point, wasn't it? It, was, it was going, went back that far. Collectively, they they did absolutely lose their shit. Shit. <laughs> I don't want to sort of, I don't want to laugh too much about that because my fear is that uh, you know come back. <laughs> Newcastle <laughs> get trounced five nil. Yeah. Uh, and um, five terrible VAR calls. But yeah, I mean, the the way they sort of respond, and particularly the way Arteta responds to uh, to things not going his way is sort of pretty extraordinary. So um, yeah, let's see what happens. Yes, absolutely. Right, then that's just about it, chaps. What I will say before we finish off is if you haven't already, uh, get yourselves onto The Athletic and have a look at George's piece on the Newcastle United women's team. Put aside... 15, 20 minutes, sit down, give it a good read, get a cup of tea, enjoy it, uh, and then listen to this podcast again so you get a good feeling for it. It it, it really is a fabulous read. I'm not just blowing smoke uh, where smoke gets blown, George. It's it's brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, so that's it. Uh, get in touch with us at Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X. Email us at Pod on the Tyne at theathletic.com. Thank you very much, Chris Woff, and your lovely haircut that you've clearly had very recently. You can still see where they've hacked away at the sides. It's beautiful, though. Well done. Thank you. Uh, There's a steak and kidney rim um, that goes well, uh, around. That goes I just around want to say thank you very much to Dan Ashworth for allowing me to use his gardening <laughs> equipment to, uh, to go around my head. I think you're going back to get it finished today, are you? Yeah. Yeah, driving down the West Midlands later and getting it sorted. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just out of all of that gardening equipment, why have you chosen to use a trowel and a massive bag of manure <laughs> to cut your hair with? And thank you very much, George, for your time. You're very welcome. It's a big, big doubleheader this weekend. I'm going down to yeah, going down to Arsenal and then back up in time for the women's game. Can't wait. I'm going to be standing on the Gallagate for that. Really excited. And uh, yeah, speak to you at the start of next week. Yes, tickets still available for that game as well. Five pound for adults and one pound for juniors. If you want to get in, it's great value and it will be a brilliant day. Uh, right, that's it. Thank you very much for listening from everybody at Pod on the Time. Have a fabulous, fabulous weekend. Take care. We'll see you later. Bye bye.
The Athletic.